Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, friends, and welcome to Chosen People Radio. So glad that you've taken the time out of your busy day to sit with us and to listen to um, our perspective on Scripture, which is what we call a Messianic Jewish perspective. What does that mean? It means that as Jewish believers and Gentile believers who uh, spend a lot of time talking to Jewish people about Jesus, we have a, a sort of a keen understanding of seeing the story of Scripture through Jewish eyes, because we're always trying to explain it to our Jewish friends, neighbors, and relatives. And so whether it be the Old Testament or the New, we try and explain it in a Jewish way so that they can understand that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah for everyone, but also for them. Because most Jewish people, uh, as you well know, and that's why we're dealing with these objections, most Jewish people prefer not to believe in Jesus. Uh, But the truth is most Jewish people have never heard about Jesus or have not heard about Jesus in a way that is Jewish sort of sensitive or from a Jewish perspective. So that's what we're trying to do. And and right now we're in in a series where we are trying to respond to 12 of the most common Jewish objections about Jesus. And uh, with me is Bobby Walter, the director of our New York region. Welcome, Bobby. And tell us a little bit about these uh, dirty dozen, these objections. And then I believe we're up to number 11. So maybe you can introduce that for us. Sure, sure. So shalom, Mitch, and shalom to all of our listeners. We're, uh, as always, grateful that you're tuning in. And uh, I've really enjoyed this entire process, Mitch, of going through these common objections. Just, it's a good refresher, you know, uh, especially in this uh, this ministry that we're that we're called to here. And today we're going to be looking at uh, two very uh, significant objections. And the first one we're going to talk about is a little nuanced. Uh, and it's probably an objection that uh, we would encounter mostly from a more religious Jewish person, a more orthodox Jewish person. So let me just tell you what it is. A Jewish person cannot follow Jesus because Judaism doesn't believe that the Messiah will come twice. Um, now, there is this rabbinic tradition that we that developed after the time of the New Testament, during the, uh, the time when the Mishnah and the Talmud were being written down. So we're talking between the years like 200 AD and 600 AD. So this is a big time period. But there's this belief that there are actually two different messiahs. And the rabbis, the sages sort of came to this conclusion by reading the Old Testament and seeing these sort of different pictures painted of the messiah. And the idea is that the Messiah, son of Joseph, would be a suffering servant Messiah. And in the end times, before the coming of the world to come, before the the, the kingdom of God is established on earth, in rabbinic Jewish eschatology or end time theology, the belief is that the son of Joseph, Messiah, the suffering servant, will come and he will die. He will be killed. And while his body is laying in the street, then the Messiah, son of David arrives, the conquering King Messiah, the victorious Messiah. He will arrive and he will come to the slain Messiah, son of Joseph laying in the streets, and he will actually resurrect the Messiah, son of Joseph. And then the Messiah, son of David will take his seat on the throne and begin to rule and reign as the King. 
Now, um, what's interesting about this, Mitch, and maybe you could talk about this, these two divergent pictures, the suffering servant and the conquering King Messiahs, these are actually kind of consistent with what we see in the New Testament. Is that right? Yep, sure. It, it, it is. Um, but there are some differences. Plus, we believe that the Messiah, whoever he is, is not going to just die a death as a valiant warrior. Correct. But he's going to die an atoning death. Right. The fulfillment of all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And through the blood of the lamb, through the blood of the bull and goats, even though salvation was not assured, it did point or paint a picture to a greater shedding of blood that would secure our salvation for both Jews and Gentiles for all time uh, through the Messiah. Uh, But let me just read what I consider the executive summary that sort of takes all of Isaiah 53 and puts it into a couple of verses in Isaiah 52. So reading at verse 13, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And it's, it's very interesting that uh, this word for act wisely can be translated in various ways. The ESV translates it obviously wisely because when you're rich, you sit at the gate and you dispense wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so the, the implication there is that the, whoever the servant is, is that they will be both a servant and probably a wealthy person all at the same time. So one says, how is that possible? Well, it's not possible. And one of the reasons it's not possible is because the Hebrew word for servant, eved, refers to Jewish people, Israelites, who really lost the farm and had to indenture themselves to another Jewish person, another Israelite. Mm -hmm. They could get their land back after 50 years if they lasted that long in the year of Jubilee. But there was really no way to get out of debt. Uh, After seven years, if you liked your master, you could get your uh, ear alled out and put an earring in it and then serve that master. And, uh, And that was the common way it was done. So in other words, when someone was in debt in Israel, when they were poor, there was almost no way out. And so here we have Somebody who is both poor and is wise or wealthy, or sometimes the Hebrew word there is translated in many versions, prospers. And, mm-hmm. and so we understand these two images of Messiah. So from the very get-go, we learn that there are two aspects to the Messiah. On the one hand, he's a servant, he's poor, and on the other hand, he's wise, he's wealthy, he's prosperous, and in a sense, he's a king. And so, as you're sharing the gospel with Jewish people, you almost have to begin with explaining what the Old Testament text says about a suffering Messiah, that there would be a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. And, uh, you know, you can go on the Chosen People website, chosenpeople.com, and you will find tons of material that will help you explain to a Jewish person the differences between a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah and why those two parts to Messiah are important. And it's rooted and grounded in scriptures like Isaiah 53, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So it's there. It's in the Hebrew scriptures or the rabbis and the sages would never have come up with the two Messiah possibility. Right. So I hope that this will, will help you. And uh, I think that the Old Testament itself is just so rich with prophecies about the Messiah. And uh, that brings me to 
objection number 12. Bobby? Yeah. So the last objection in our series here uh, is sort of in line with what we've been talking about here about prophecy and uh, prophecies concerning the Messiah. And uh, some Jewish people would point to the fact that the first five books of Moses, the Torah, that Jesus cannot be the Jewish Messiah because the Torah does not mention him. It does not speak of him. But Mitch, you and I both know that while the name Jesus or the name Yeshua is not mentioned directly in the first five books of Moses, still there is quite a bit of uh, prophetic material in those five books that point ahead to the Messiah and describe who he is and what he would be like and what he would accomplish and what he would do. You know, it's so funny. Actually, the name of the Messiah is never mentioned in the Bible. Right. <laughs> not Until the, we get to the, the New Testament. Yeah. Right. Not in the five, five books and not in any other books. And the name Jesus, if you, uh, that's comes, that's a transliteration, so to speak, from the Greek, Jesus. Jesus. But if you go back and, and look at what that name means, it means Joshua. Mm-hmm. That would be a, almost a better translation, or Yehoshua, and that means God is the Savior. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, uh, Jesus took the name that was not revealed in the Old Testament, but he took the name that actually was revealed to Joseph. God told Joseph what to name the child. You shall name him Jesus, mm-hmm. Joshua. God is the Savior. And then, I love it, what the Lord says afterwards to Joseph, says, because he shall save his people from their sins. And so maybe the name was never revealed in the Old Testament, but it was certainly revealed with the coming of the Messiah. Uh, And everything about the person was revealed in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled all of that perfectly. He is the Moshiach, the Anointed One, prophet, priest, and king, all in one person. Right, right. Well, one passage that comes to mind uh, right away is Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 15. The Lord is making this promise. He's speaking to Moses uh, concerning this special individual that God himself would raise up. And he says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So, we kind of get a taste of this prophet, priest, and king promise, even in this passage. And he's a son of whom? Who's his great, 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 great grandfather? King David, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, he has a royal lineage. Royal lineage. Royal lineage. And in some ways, Moses functioned like a king for Israel, even though he was never given that title or given that designation. He was leading the people and shepherding the people, uh, giving the the template for how the kings were supposed to lead and shepherd the people in the future. He would have a prophetic ministry. The Lord would put his words into the mouth of this prophet like Moses. Uh, He would utter the oracles of God, and his words would carry such weight and such authority, Sinai-level authority, uh, that 
uh, you know, you keep reading uh, in verse 19, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So the words in the, in the mouth of this prophet like Moses, who ultimately is, is the Messiah, it's Jesus, would carry such weight that people would be judged according to whether or not they heed the words of this prophet like Moses. You know, there's such a, an important passage at, uh, in the Gospel of John that sort of summarizes all of this. And it's a tough passage for me as a Jewish believer because I wish it wasn't said, mm. but it's true and I'm glad Jesus said it. But in verse 45 of John 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And this is so powerful. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So mm-hmm. if, if anybody understood that he was fulfilling the prophecies of the five books of Moses from Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 15, from Genesis 22, a type of of Christ with the birth and death and resurrection of Isaac. It's just passage over passage. The whole sacrificial system that came through the mouth of Moses is a prediction by type of the future death, atoning death of the Messiah and the King. It goes over and over again. And so, really, a Jewish person should understand that Jesus is the Messiah because if they believed Moses, they would believe in Jesus. Part of the problem that we face, and you face, dear brother and sister, with your Jewish friends, is that many are so secular that they don't know enough about Moses to believe in Jesus. It's a unique problem, and we are able to handle some of that in Brooklyn. Uh, and in Israel and other places. But you're gonna mostly meet more secular Jewish people. They know they shouldn't believe in Jesus, but they don't really know a lot about Moses. And so my prayer for you, dear friend, is that you'll know enough about what Moses and others in the Hebrew scriptures said about Messiah so that you could then share that with your Jewish friend and lead them to the Lord. Technology has given us an exciting new way to reach the Jewish people with the good news of Jesus, like never before. Prior to 2014, we had to rely on billboards, buses, subways, and newspapers to get the word out. But now, with the advances of technology and your partnership, we can reach tens of thousands of Jewish people with a simple click of a button in this exciting digital age. So, learn more about our mission and help us continue reaching Jewish people over the internet by going online to chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Brian Robbins grew up in a Jewish home, and he was living what he considered to be a normal life until one day, the Sikh function on the car radio landed on a Christian radio program. The dialogue that he heard on the radio captivated him and caused him to seek out answers about the Messiah for himself. Brian's testimony is just awesome. I know you're going to love it. One of the most difficult conversations I had in my life was telling my parents that I believed that Yeshua Jesus is the Messiah. 
I said, let me talk for 45 minutes. If you promise you won't interrupt for 45 minutes, I can share everything on my mind. My heart is beating in my chest. I graduated, I got a, a great job in, in, in a law firm. I'm partnered in a large law firm in New York City. Uh, my career has been terrific. I, my family is in the neighborhood. I'm very close to them and we are living our lives as reformed Jews and everything is fine. Early in uh, 2004, and I was on my way to work, I hit the seek button on my radio and I landed on a Christian talk show. I listened for about 30 seconds and I literally laughed out loud. I said, you've got to be kidding. Oh, Michigana. A couple days later, uh, I was hitting the seek button again and then once again I landed on the station. I kept landing on this Christian talk show and I started to listen to it not remotely out of belief, but there was a story. I found it interesting. What's the gospel? And I made it a favorite and I listened to it daily. About almost a year goes by. It's December 23rd. It's about 11.30 at night. I'm driving home from the office. I'm alone in the car. And the station was on in the background, but I was multitasking. And there was a guest speaker that night. And he said something like, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, just say that you believe. And for a reason that I cannot explain intellectually, I found myself saying out loud that I believed, but not just saying it, I believed it. But I had an immediate moment of Jewish guilt. What are you doing? And I started listening much more carefully as the speaker continued to say something like, and if you've just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've walked out of the darkness and into the light. And a light literally hit me right in the eye simultaneously with the word light and I broke out into a full body sweat. It was a strong physical response. Warm, tingly feeling from my head and the upper chest. I felt different and yet the same, but I felt different. And I told my wife the story and she said to me, Brian, you'll get over it. And I said, I don't think so. Now being a believer, studying everything I could about Christianity and about Judaism and reading the Talmud and reading the Hebrew scriptures and reading the New Testament and reading all kinds of books on theology. I was in this quagmire because I was afraid to tell anyone. Kim and I decided we might never tell my parents. This uh, would be devastating to them. And I remember I was sitting in my office at home and out of nowhere I had this strong feeling I needed to tell my parents. I didn't want to tell my parents, but I just felt like I needed to. So I went into the kitchen and I said to Kim, Kim, there's something on my mind. And before I could continue, she said, you know what, there's something on my mind, Brian. I said, what is it, honey? She said, you really need to tell your parents. It was remarkable. So I drove over and on the way in the car, I was thinking to myself, what am I possibly going to tell my parents? And I'm praying on that, just hoping, you know, that someone will, that God will tell me what to say. I arrived at their house, mom, dad, there's something really important, I'm fine, but I need to share it with you and I need 45 minutes. I still didn't know what I was going to say, but I was not nervous when I had that 45 minute conversation. And I reported to them this testimony and at the end of that conversation my mother, in only the way a Jewish mother could do, turned to me and she said, Brian, you mean it's been a year since you had this experience with God? And while I don't think of it the way that you think of it, 
I'm happy for you, I love you, and she gave me a big hug. And my father was equally gracious, but much more restrained. And I'll never forget, he said, I don't know why you're wrong, but I know you're wrong, and I'm gonna have you meet with a great Jewish rabbi to explain to you why you're wrong. He did ultimately arrange for me to meet with uh, a, a wonderful Jewish rabbi, very well versed in New Testament. We talked about a lot of the theological issues I won't talk about here. We debated, we discussed scripture, respectfully of course, and it was such an intimate conversation that I felt that I could, and I did, ask him a personal question. Have you ever asked when it was just you alone in your room with God, God, is it possible that Yeshua is the Mashiach? And he paused. I'm sure it was a couple of seconds. It felt like a minute to me. And he said, well, Brian, do you mean more than like, for example, looking across the room at a painting and wondering, gee, I wonder if that image is like a unicorn. More than that? And I said, yeah, more than that. And he said, well, then no. But the no to me was a very reflective answer because here is somebody so well steeped in Judaism and so well versed in the, in the New Testament who didn't have a knee-jerk reaction, as I often hear, absolutely not. To me, it was a faith-building experience. And I hope that question sits with them still today. Israel is in the news a lot, but do you really know what to make of the conflicts and controversies in the Middle East? What about the history and strife of the Israeli and Palestinian territories? Is there a solution to restore relationships between the Jewish and Arab people? Well, these are a few of the questions several well-known Jewish theologians, pastors, and speakers address in the book, What Should We Think About Israel? Get all the facts in one clear resource when you go online to chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. The book is our free gift to you this month just for reaching out and saying hello. Or ask for the book, What Should We Think About Israel? Edited by J. Randall Price when you call 888-2-YESHUA. That number again is 888-293-7482. Thanks for reaching out. We look forward to hearing from you soon. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free gift available for you just for reaching out. We sure do, Bobby. A book by Randall Price, who teaches at Liberty University. Uh, it's an eye-opening and engaging book called What Should We Think About Israel? That's designed to help us separate fact from fiction, because when it comes to the conflicts and controversies in the Middle East, we hear more from the media than we hear from the Bible, and we have to change that. And we'll send it to you free of charge when you reach out to us today. So just go to chosenpeople.com radio to request your free book, chosenpeople.com radio. Or give us a call at 888-293-7482. And don't forget to ask for your free copy of Randall Price's book, What Should We Think About Israel? Maybe you'll take a moment and let us know that you're listening and praying for this ministry and for Jewish people all over the world. We'd love to hear from you. The Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful 
and a righteous woman, I might add. And we believe that your prayers empower us to reach Jewish people all over the globe. And so we welcome your prayerful partnership. We need you to stand with us in sharing the gospel with Jewish people all over the world. And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.